0: For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom? All right. Hey, if you got your Bible with you, grab it. Open it to the Book of Galatians. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, text is in your order of worship. If you don't own a Bible, there's uh, like four or five on the back table. I want you to grab one on your way out. That's our gift to you. Um, take that. You need. I'd love for you to have one. Uh, but any way that you can have the text in front of you while we're doing this is going to be helpful. Um, because I, I need you to know that what we're talking about isn't from me. It's not originating, it's not helpful thoughts from Rick, which would be neither helpful nor probably coherent thoughts. So, uh, let's, let's get the Bibles in front of us. Look, um, as you're turning there, the argument of the entire Bible uh, is that you and I were made for freedom. And by that, what I don't mean is that vision of freedom that we often have in our culture of like, I can do what I want when I want, but the idea that we were made to live as God our Creator intended us to live. But at the same time, the Bible argues that though, or or rather through our own desire to live as we intend, and not as God intends, we have come into bondage, bondage to ourselves, to our brokenness. And ultimately to a destiny that we weren't created for, eternal separation from God, eternal bearing of judgment for our betrayal of him. And so the question is, how is it that we are restored or can be restored to the freedom that we were made for? That's a, that's a primary strand that runs through the Bible and, and actually comes into this book in particular, the book of Galatians. Is it through our vigorous efforts to make things right? Or is it through faith in another? And so our text this morning, as we're getting into chapter 3, deals with one of the central figures, one of the, one of the key characters, so to speak, in God's plan to make things right. And it brings out the power of His promise to do so. So if you have your place in Galatians 3, our habit here is to stand, and so I'd ask you to do so as, as we read God's Word. <clears throat> we're in chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 6 through 9. This is God's Word, friends. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is God's Word. It's for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Father, you give us your word in love, and so now we come before it. We ask that you would speak. Lord, on our own, we can't see you. On our own, we can't hear from you. And on our own, our hearts are closed to you. And so we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are open. Would you drive your gospel deep into our hearts? Would you speak to us, Lord, for you hold the words of eternal life. And your servants are eager to hear. So, Lord, speak, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. All right. For all of our sakes, whether you've been here for a while or not, let me remind us where we're at. So, in Galatians 1, Paul is writing to these churches in, in what is, uh, is modern-day Turkey, the southern part of modern-day Turkey, what is called during his day Galatia, and he's reminding them that there's no other Christian gospel than the one that he preached, the one that he preached originally. And that the gospel that he preached, the reason why he preached it was not to make friends and influence people, Right? It's not to win a bunch of people onto his, his to, to, to think he's great. It's to see them flourish. The idea that people can't flourish apart from it. And then in verses 11 to 24, he follows up that talk by talking about his story. That Paul, the apostle, is in the writer of multiple letters of the New Testament, did not begin things as a Christian. He began as a violent, racist, persecutor of the Christian faith. That was Paul. He hated folks who didn't look like him, weren't like him, and he hated this idea of Jesus. But then one day he had an encounter with the risen Christ and everything changed for him. He became became a zealous missionary through an encounter with Jesus. But then in in, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 14, he addresses two of the big challenges of the gospel, right? There's the one about thinking that you can be right with God, that you can make yourself right with God through through the religious activity that you do, through the rule-keeping that we love to do, and, and, and we call that legalism. And then there's the idea that you can be right with God because of, of your, uh, because of your race or your cultural expression. And that's called racism, right? One's legalism, one's racism. They're both challenges of the gospel. But Paul denies both because as he lays out in chapter 2, verses 15 to 21, we saw that a couple of weeks ago, when you seek to keep God's law, the only thing it ends up showing you is that you can't. You try really hard and all it ends up showing you is that I, I, I just fail. And so we need to be united to someone who can both keep the law for us and deal with our guilt for breaking it. And that person is Jesus. Remember, we said that, if there, that Paul says that if, if righteousness, if that kind of right status before God could be gained through rule-keeping, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, if Jesus isn't the only way, he's not a way at all. If he's not the way, he's not a way at all. And last week we looked at how the gospel is not just how you get into the Christian faith, but how you live it out as well. That, that we, we don't become Christians and then apply vigorously Christian principles to our lives. That we become Christians and apply the gospel consistently to our lives. That's how we grow. And so this week Paul begins showing that this principle, this idea that you're right with God by faith alone in his promised Messiah, in his promised rescuer, that, that this is not new. It's always been how God works. And he shows us by introducing us to this dude named Abraham. Okay? So we're going to look at this text in three ways. Uh, there, the outline of your bulletin is there if you need it uh, or if you want it. If not, leave it there. We're going to look at the children of Abraham. Then we're going to look at the blessing through Abraham. And then finally, faith-like Abraham. So the children of, the blessing through, and faith-like. Okay? Let's start with children of. Let's start with verse 6, shall we? Now, some of you, if you're, if you're reading this or you heard me reading it, um, it sounds like we just jumped into the middle of a sentence and we did. So uh, we kind of jumped into the middle of a transition. Paul is transitioning between what he said last week and into this, and he does that by introducing this dude named Abraham. Okay, Paul says, "Just as Abraham believed God, and he credited—that's God credited to Abraham—as righteousness." Now, if you're not familiar at all with the Bible, you're probably like, "So what? I mean, who's Abraham anyway? Who is this dude? Uh, Who cares about Abraham?" Now, there there are some reasons why this is important. So stick with me if you can. The first is because of the challenge that Paul is answering. Okay? The challenge that Paul is answering. After he planted these churches, we've said this a lot, but I want to remind us, after he planted these churches in southern Turkey, he planted them, and then he moved on, and after he did, other teachers came in, and what they said to these burgeoning Christian communities, these new churches, was that Paul was mistaken. Or at the very least, he was incomplete in how he understands how God works. Because if you wanted to have a part in the Jewish Messiah... It would only make sense that then you had to be Jewish, right? If you wanted to be part of the Jewish Messiah, you had to be Jewish. And to be Jewish is to be a child of Abraham. You tracking? So the second reason, that's the first reason, because it it helps to answer what the challenge is that Paul's answering. The second reason is because of where Abraham fits into this entire plan of God to redeem the world. You see, the beginning of the Bible, chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, things are going great. God is creating and and creation is responding to him. Humanity is enjoying God. We're giving him glory. We're naming animals. We're like singing love songs to each other. Everything is great. And then chapter 3 happens, right? We don't even make it through three chapters before everything goes bad. Like chapter 3 happens. And everything goes bad because we begin to believe that we don't have to depend on God anymore. That as humans, we don't need to be dependent on Him. We can be independent. We can do our own thing. We can be our own authority. That's what we come to believe, and so we betray God. And when we betray God, sin enters the world. Now, as soon as I say sin, right, some of us immediately think of rule-breaking, right? Because sin in our minds is, is breaking of rules. And, and it is kind of that, but it's not exactly it. In the, in the Bible, fundamentally... Sin is not so much about breaking rules as a relationship. It's not so much about breaking uh, your a code as it is about breaking a heart. And when we turn from God, when we betray Him, that's what sin is, we, we come under guilt for betraying Him, but also it fundamentally changes us as humans. And you know this. Like, you and I do not have to be taught that we can live independently of God, or that we should. It's not something that we kind of, you're born, and, and if, if left to yourself, you're just going to think dependence on God is the thing to do. No, no. We, we are naturally inclined to this. It is our assumption. It is, the, it is the lenses through which we see the world. If you have glasses, you know, like you don't see your lenses. You're wearing your glasses, you don't see the lenses. You don't see them unless you take them off and look at them. You see everything through them, though. And they change the way you see the world. And, and this is the same. We have been fundamentally changed so that now the lenses through which we see the world are ones in which we cannot trust God. We cannot rely on Him. We must be independent of Him. That's now our assumption. But right when that happens, right at the beginning of that story where we fundamentally broke relationship with God, God promises to make things right. He promises to fix what, he bro- what we broke and to reconcile us to Himself. And a few chapters later, that's chapter 3. A few chapters later, in chapter 12, God says, I'm going to do this through this guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham, in chapter 12, if you were to read Genesis chapter 12 this afternoon, what you'd find is that Abraham was not a believer in God. He was not a God worshiper. He worshipped some false gods in the city of Ur, right, in the Middle East. Like, he he didn't know God from a, a hole in the ground. But God chose him and told him that it was going to be through his family that he would deal, that God would deal with our sin and to make things right. And that promise is something we call a covenant. Okay? It's a promise-bound relationship. God makes a covenant with Abraham and it says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fix the world through your family. Even though Abraham didn't have one yet. He says, I'm going to deal with sin. I'm going to make things right. Okay? Abraham at this point is in his 90s. His wife is in her 90s. And he's got no kids. Now, I know that we tend to think that in old-timey days, things happen a little differently. Listen to me. Women in their 90s do not have babies. I don't care if they're if this is like 4,000 BC or whether this is like 2000 AD. If you're in your 90s, you're not having babies. And most of you, like, if you ever get there, you're gonna be like, "Thank you." Okay, but this is this is what is going to happen. God promises that He is going to do this, and He's going to do it through. Abraham and his family. So not only is Abraham important to those of a Jewish background, right? Because they draw everything, their identity, from him. He's the beginning of everything. Not only is he important to those of a Jewish background, he's central to God's plan to make things right. So that's about Abraham. But that brings us to how Paul actually uses him. Look down at verses 6 and 7. We get to credit righteousness and sonship. Paul has just argued, and he's argued through the, the first part of this book, that you and I cannot earn our way to God. We can't work hard enough to get there. We, we can't make things up to Him by trying harder or just by being sincere. Like, well, I didn't get things right, but at least I, I was sincere about it. Yeah, good, good for you. Like, that's not what God is looking for. Because our problem, if our problem is desiring and living out of independence to, from God, then these things just make it worse. I cannot say that enough. I cannot say that enough. We have got to change the way we look at things. If your problem is that you are seeking independence from God, you cannot fix that on your own. If you do, you're like, well, I'll just make myself moral enough. I'll just make myself good enough. I'll just, I'll just love enough people and not judge them enough. But you're still trying to do it on your own. You're just making the problem worse. You're not making it better. Sin is about being independent from God, seeking our own, to be our own authority, to seek to do our own thing. Paul has argued that we do not need reform. Being moral enough is not going to help because you don't need reform. You need rescue. And so he shows that this has always been the case. And he does this by quoting from Genesis chapter 15. And that's what he's doing right there in verse 6. This idea that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, two things on this. First, believing, and then we'll to look at crediting. Paul says that Abraham, he's quoting from the Old Testament, Abraham believed God. Notice what he didn't say. What he didn't say is that Abraham believed in God. Right? He didn't say Abraham believed in God. He said Abraham believed God. Now, believing God and believing in God are two different things. Now, certainly, it's impossible to believe God if you don't believe in God. But you can believe in God and not believe God at all. Right? Here's what I mean. What Abraham believed in Genesis 15 was a promise That God was going to rescue humanity through his kids, even though he didn't have them yet. He didn't ask Abraham to work for it. He didn't say, get on this as soon as possible. He he didn't say, uh, you know, go out and work really hard to, to make this happen. He is saying, Abraham, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this right. And Abraham trusts him. He believes him. He could just as easily have believed in God and yet think, whatever, you know what, no thanks. I, I, know, I know you think this is good, I, I'm going to do it my own way. And in fact, he did. Like Abraham at one point, he's like, look, this ain't happening quick enough. His wife's like, look, honey, I'm in my 90s. I know God said that, but he's a little crazy. But you know what, I do have this maid." And if, and if you just spend the night with her, we can kind of jumpstart this whole thing. And everyone's like, okay, like I'll do that. Like, great, fantastic. That is not what he was talking about. So you can believe in God and yet not believe God at all. So if you're here this morning and you believe that God exists, good. I'm glad. Well, well done. That's, that's great. But that is not believing God. Instead, what we see. Uh, when we believe in God but not believe God is that we lean on our abilities our our understanding instead of leaning on the God who promised to work outside of us to rescue and the second thing is what that belief results in okay he was credited with righteousness okay now the word righteousness means faithfulness okay in terms of a covenant in terms of a promise bound relationship when you're talking about that context to be righteous means that you have You have been faithful to those promises. You have kept them. In fact, kept them flawlessly. It means being true. Now, if you read the story of Abraham, what you are quickly going to find out is that Abraham was not true to it. Over and over again, that actually was not the case. And so if you're looking for a spiritual giant, if you're looking for a hero to act like, someone who's like, I will look at this man's life and I will emulate every aspect of it, that is not the dude. Okay? Okay? Look, here's what I mean. Like, so this is just one story out of many. I already talked about the whole thing with, with uh, having a kid by his wife's maid. Okay, That's, that is what it is. Let's move on. But there's another point at which Abraham's going down to Egypt, and apparently Sarah, even in her 90s, got some second looks. You know what I'm saying? And so like King, the Pharaoh, is looking over at Sarah, and he's like, wow, she, she, she looks nice. And Abraham's like, uh-oh he goes to Sarah and he says, here's, here's what we're going need, to need to do. See, I'm afraid if he knows that I'm your husband, he's going to kill me and take you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, you're my sister. And, and then everything will go well for me. And so he's, he, they go through with it. And what happens is Sarah is put in a very vulnerable position, as in in Pharaoh's bedroom, vulnerable. Right? Like, this is, this is the guy. Abraham is just like us, deeply flawed and in need of rescue. And this is where the word credit comes in, right? It says that that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. To credit something means to to create a status that was was not previously present. You can declare something to be the case. Like, I can declare the floor is wood, right? And it didn't make the floor become wood, it already was what i was simply declaring what was already there to credit something is not to declare it it's to create a status that was not there in other words if you credit my bank account with 10 grand right you aren't acknowledging that 10 grand is there cuz it ain't all right <laughs> what you are is you are giving that status to me which i am open to by the way in case there's any thought all right Abraham was not righteous, and then God acknowledged it. Abraham was not faithful, and God acknowledged it. It isn't Abraham's belief that was righteous. It is through Abraham's belief that God credited to him a righteousness foreign to him, alien to him, outside of him, and it became his status. So that's Abraham. But then Paul extends that in verse 8, because he says that those who do the same are sons of Abraham. This is huge. Listen to me. Listen to me. Paul is saying that if you want to be faithful before God, and some of us in this room, even if we're not Christians, we have this thought like, yes, you know what? I don't really know what I want to do. I do know I want to be faithful before God. Paul, Paul is saying, if you want to be faithful before God, it isn't through religious activity. Coming to church, reading your Bible, praying, putting money in the basket when that comes. Like, that's not what he's saying. Nor is it being sincere. Like, if I just... Man, if, you know, if, if I just am not judging people enough. Now, I may not get it all right, but at least I'm trying hard. Right? It's not trying to be good. It's not even certain cultural markers that does it. He's saying it's faith. You want to claim Abraham as your father? It isn't through lineage, but faith that such a thing is reckoned, Paul says. If you want to be part of the promise to Abraham, it is through faith, not through rule keeping. But through faith, you can be credited just like he was excuse me, well, that's all well and good, right? But how? Okay, so that that deals with uh, the the children of Abraham. Now, let's look at the blessing through Abraham. Paul gets to that in verse 8. Look there. He says, The Scriptures, seeing ahead of time that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, that all the nations will be blessed in you. All right, now stop there. To really get this, we need to understand what's being argued in Paul's context, right? Because oftentimes, especially as Americans, we can read the Bible and think this was written to Americans and forget that it's written to people in a different time and a different place. So we got to hear what they heard and then try and bring it into ours, okay? So if you're a first century Jew, most of most of what I've said already, you get, okay? You know God created the world. You know he created good. That's great. Uh, you know we, we jacked everything up we messed it up, that we're broken, uh, we, we've sinned. You know that God chose Abraham to see things fixed through his family. But you also believe that he gave his family certain markers, certain things that kind of marked them out from everybody else. One of them was called the law. And by the law, I don't just mean like the Big Ten, like the, 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 the Ten Commandments. Like not just the Ten Commandments, but everything that kind of went along with it. Uh, and, and then along with that, there are certain things that kind of visibly, or at least in practice, marked them out. It's not just the law, but you have this certain aspects of it, like uh, dietary laws, right? Like um, no bacon, no pork sausage, no ham on your pizza. Like there's nothing, you can't do that anymore. Or, or circumcision, which for them was like a, a ritual marker that marked them out as God's people. Or, uh, or this thing is Sabbath, right? The, the six-day work week. And when I say six-day work week, I mean like no work. Not just like I can't go to my job, but like you're cooking in the crock pot Friday night to eat on Saturday. Like that kind of thing. Uh, so those, they believe that those kind of things mark them out as God's people. So if you wanted to be with God's rescue plan, you had to be part of the family. And if you want to be part of the family, you had to take these markers on yourself. Now, here's the thing. We can think that that is so archaic and how crazy is that? But listen, Christians have that too. We have that too, right? Like you can't be a Christian and drink. You can't be a Christian and do this. You can't, you can't be a Christian and go to certain movies. Uh, you, you, you can't be a Christian and listen to certain music. Uh, you, you can't be a Christian and have uh, certain choices of, of education. Like, there are certain things where, like, yeah, we have it too. We have, we have things that we think are mark us out. But Paul came to preach something different. Because Paul came preaching that gaining a part in God's rescue plan, being a part of what God did to come and make us right is not about taking certain markers on yourself it's about trusting in God's rescuer now his bold argument is that this is always what was intended not that he changed course midstream this is always what he intended he says Paul says the scripture said this a long time ago okay what is awesome is that Paul calls this the gospel, which is the same thing he calls his message. He says that the gospel was preached to Abraham way back when. And his point is, this is the way God always intended to do it. Faith has always been the way God rescues. Okay? Now, that may be hard to see, so let me break down this verse real quick. Uh, first and foremost, when Paul says scriptures, that, that may be a, a word that's unfamiliar to some of us. The scriptures... To him, it means the Bible, right? And so for Paul, the Bible was what we call the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. Well, he had a different order. But for us, it would be Genesis to Malachi, right? And by the Bible, by the Scriptures, how he understands it is that is God's inerrant and inspired word. That is the very word of God. That is not just a bunch of guys' thoughts on things. That is God's very word. And so when he says the Scriptures are saying something, he's saying God is saying it. Now, when he says justify, that's another Christian word, right? That means to make right. It means to make us right before God. That's what that means. To be made right before God. And that word gospel, in the New Testament, that means the good news that God has come to rescue us in and through the person and work of Jesus. So when Paul quotes Genesis 12 there, Pat read it for us earlier, right? Right? Pat stood up here and she read from Genesis 12, and we got the the quotation of that here. When Paul quotes Genesis 12, he is claiming that that verse laid out a plan to rescue not just those physically descended from Abraham, but the whole world. And that that plan has now come to fruition in Jesus. That was God's plan all along. His plan was never working hard, being good, getting real, like... uh, Somehow getting your life together, but that through faith, through believing God's promise, you could be made right to Him with Him. Okay, and that leads us to the source. Looking at those last two verses, verses eight and nine, God's promise is that the nations, the Gentiles, and by Gentiles we have to understand that's that's most of us, right? If you don't have, if you're not Jewish in your background, you're a Gentile uh, in in this worldview. So we're Gentiles. That the nations, the Gentiles, will be blessed through Abraham. And that later, that those who are of faith will be blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay? Now, that word blessed is important. Because for most of us, to be blessed is just like the religious way of saying we're lucky. You know what I mean? Like, instead of saying, man, I'm lucky to have the family I have. Or not so lucky to have the family I have. And when we're religious people, say, I'm so blessed. You know, you know this, right? Like, you listen to music stars. And somehow, as soon as they get in front of a camera and they win an award, suddenly they're blessed all the time. Like, it's just... I, I guess so. Like... Most of the time, we think of it as meaning lucky. That isn't what it means in the Bible. In the Bible, to be blessed is to be restored to the life that we were intended to live. It means to flourish. Right? To be blessed is to flourish. But the Scriptures are clear, though, that we are cut off from that by our sin. We are cut off from flourishing by our sin. That, that in fact, and, and as much as we want to talk about how to help other people flourish, which is all well and good, we have to understand the Bible sees it as the thing getting between Humanity and their flourishing fundamentally is not not having enough money, not not having enough food. Fundamentally, it is about a broken relationship with God. With all of those other things that spread out from it. And so this promise, as we're reading it, is that through Abraham and his family, that they will be God's rescue plan. That the world will be blessed. But here's the problem. Abraham and his family are just as jacked up as the rest of us are. Like, if you are drowning in the ocean, the dude drowning next to you cannot rescue you. The two of you try and rescue each other, you're going to go down quicker. Right? You cannot be rescued by somebody else who's drowning. And Abraham's family consistently showed that having the good rules, having God's rules, having the markers, having, having all of these great things wouldn't help having God even speak to them face-to-face, not helping. Because their problem isn't that they needed to be reformed. They needed just better rules. Their problem is that they needed a rescuer. But you see, then, then someone was born into Abraham's family who didn't. Who didn't need a rescuer. See, Paul's argument has been in this book and will be that this promise to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus. He came in the flesh as God. God in the flesh. Not just a great dude. Not just a a smart guy with great teachings. He came as God in the flesh. And without sin, without brokenness. In other words, Jesus wasn't drowning. He's standing over the water, in a sense, or walking on it. How about that? He doesn't, he's not drowning. He lived a faithfulness that we could never achieve. Do you believe that? I, I, I don't mean about Jesus. Look, most of the people in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, think Jesus is a great dude. That's not what I mean. Do you believe that you could never have achieved it? Because what we're talking about isn't that Jesus had a good minute, a good moment, a good month. He was perfect. Before God and men, absolutely Perfect. But then he died before men and God as a rebel. He bore the penalty for our sin and then rose from the dead. And he offers the benefits of his work to all who would come to him by faith. Not by working hard, but by trusting in his work. Not by trying harder, but by believing in him. The faith of Abraham was in God's promise to rescue. right? That God will do this. Abraham believed it. Ours is in the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus. He is the source of blessing. He is the only one who can reconcile us to God. And so to reject Jesus is to reject God's rescuer. To reject Jesus is to reject the only answer to our problem. In fact, the only answer possible to our problem. All right. Now, let me make two applications this morning. One more theological and the other one a little more practical. I say a little more because if you know me, that's about as good as I can get. All right? So, first, the theological one. Excuse me. Let's look at the family tree. There is a lot of confusion today over where exactly the church fits in this whole notion of God's rescue plan, what in theology is called the history of redemption. Okay? Some of that confusion has shaped this nation's foreign policy on some things. So, listen this text is clear. God's plan was always for one worldwide family for Abraham. God didn't shift things midstream, kind of like a cosmic oops. Didn't see that coming. Let's go with this instead. Let's have this thing called Christianity now. The true family of Abraham has always been marked by faith. Did you catch it? That's what Jesus' point was in the the gospel passage that, that Pat read. Jesus is talking to Pharisees who are the strictest sect of Judaism. He's talking to them, and he's like, y'all aren't children of Abraham. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Yes, I am. I got birth certificate, trace my lineage back. I'm a child of Abraham. He's like, no. If you were a child of Abraham, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. But you're trying to kill me, you're a child of your father, and all he does is lie. Jesus is saying... That the true children of Abraham are of the faith of Abraham. And Paul says the same thing in Romans 9. Not all descended from Israel are part of Israel. Abraham's family is organized around the promise and faith in it, now fulfilled in Jesus. Look, whatever we think of a particular nation-state in the Middle East, the Israel of God is organized around Jesus and not some kind of hand-drawn national boundary drawn up by Europeans. Okay? Just as it was once organized around the promise of the Messiah, now after He has come and done His work, it is now organized around Him. Like Paul says here, sonship of Abraham is by faith, not by descent, not by some external physical marker. Now, lastly, the more practical or less, less at least less theoretical. Um, let's talk about extra credit. Okay, so let's be honest. Whether you're a Christian or not here in this room, and not everyone in this room is a Christian, so let's stop pretending, okay? And whether you're a Christian or not, though, every one of us, to some extent, are hoping that we, we long for the point where we can get one day to the judgment of God, if there is such a thing. We're going to get there, and God's going to say, okay, what's up? What, what, do you, what do you got? And we're going to go, look at all of the good that I have done. Look at this big pile of gorgeous good. Aren't you lucky to have me? And he would go, oh, yes. God, will you please, could you live in my house? Like that that is what we all want. Okay? And many of us, in fact, get weird at getting gifts of any kind, right? I mean, heck if I'm being honest, I, I do this too. I, it happened last night. Like some of you know this. Like I got an amazing gift and it it was both awful and awesome all at the same time. We get weird when we get gifts such that like we um, we either have to scramble to figure out, okay, well, I gotta give you something. I have I have lint, you know, or or we come up with excuses like I didn't know we were giving gifts. (laughs) And it's like, we weren't giving gifts. I know, but we are getting gifts, so we should be giving gifts. Like, we, we get weird about that, right? But listen to me. Christianity tells us the only way to be right with God is not to achieve, but to receive. It's not to achieve something, but it's to receive something. It's not to achieve great works for God, but to receive the great works of God on our behalf. That is the only way. And it is because of this notion of promise. You see, from the beginning, God has made a covenant with us. And we didn't deserve that. And I'm talking like from the beginning, like Genesis 3 beginning. God made a covenant with us. Humanity messed it all up. And God said, I'm going to fix this. And we didn't deserve that. All we deserved was judgment. But God says, I'm going to make this right. And look, we got it. Adam got it. Do you, recognize, do you realize that like, Eve was not his wife's name? <laughs> His wife's name was Isha. That was her name. It was woman, the Hebrew for woman. And he, he, her name was Ishah. But God said, you're not going to die. I'm going to work and you will live because of someone who will eventually come from her. And Adam believes him and says, I'm going to rename. You're no longer Ishah. Now you are Eve, the mother of all that will live because we will live. We will live. So Adam, Adam got this. The same is true of Abraham. Abraham had no reason to think he could have ever had children. But God said, I will fix this through your kids. And so Abraham trusted him, returned to dependence on him, and God credited him with righteousness. So let me say it again. Abraham is not a perfectly faithful man. He had flashes, sure. He had moments. He had great moments. But God's God's standard isn't a good moment. It's perfection. It is perfection. And that bar doesn't get lowered because you're a great guy. Like, oh, don't worry, you're on the friends and family plan. It's down here. Like, you just reach out and grab. It it doesn't get lowered because you're a great guy. And it doesn't have to be. Now listen, listen. (laughs) Uh, Abraham's status was not credited to him because God was asking him to make things right. It wasn't credited to him because he said, Abraham, you go and figure this out. He was credited with the righteousness of another. And the same is true today because God's standard hasn't changed. Now this may shock you. If you've been in evangelical churches, stay with me because what I'm about to say may sound a little weird to you. In a very real sense, salvation is by works. It is by the things that we do. It is by having a perfect record. But the the reality is, is that God is not asking you to do it. He's not asking you to go do those things. He made the commitment. He made the covenant. And he has provided the means in Jesus. Salvation is by works. Salvation is by obedience. But it ain't by yours. And it's not by mine. It's by the obedience and by the the works of Jesus. And that means, listen to me, because this is the best news ever. That means it doesn't matter if you're here this morning and your life has looked real pretty. Or if you're here this morning and your life has been such a train wreck that you're embarrassed to tell the people around you what you did last night. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter what you do. It matters what he did. When we trust in Jesus, his works, his obedience is credited to us. And, and I mean his obedience, like his perfect life is credited to us as if it were ours. Before God, your perfect life. Wait What? And and his, his obedience unto death, that he would die for the sake of sin, credited to you as if that was your death unto sin. Friends, God has always had one way of salvation. In theology, we call this God's covenant of grace. That the offended God would promise life to the offending sinner. If only they would come And repent of their independence and trust in him to rescue them. Our benefit, unlike Abraham, is that whereas he saw something in part, we have seen it in full. We have seen God's salvation in the glorious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What Abraham had in promise, we have in full color. We have a Savior who loved us, who dies for us, and who brings us into his family. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I just I want to give you praise because you are righteous. And you keep your promises. We are faithless and we do not. But you are righteous. And so you have provided for us not just a way that if we walk down it, we can get there if we walk far enough. You have promised a rescuer to come and pick us up and carry us. And so, Lord, for all of us this morning, whether we have been Christians for as long as we can remember, and we just need, again, to be reminded of the fact that when we stand before You, our good things, our righteousness are like rags before You. But that we can boldly, with confidence and joy, present back to You the very righteousness of Your Son, Jesus. Or if we're here this morning and we've never trusted in Christ... We've never, we, we don't know what it would be like to have been credited a, a, a record that's not ours. I pray that You would work in all of our hearts. Open us to the Gospel, that we might believe that and take joy in the fact that because of Jesus, we can stand before You confidently and assured of Your smile. This all we ask, Lord, in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.